Hello there, everybody. This is the Computer Crusader, and you are watching Season 1, Episode 3 of the Crusader at the Round Table. We got three big stories once again for you guys to cover today. Starting off with Right to Repair. I know this is a pretty big issue. And, uh, turns out President Joe Biden has signed a new executive order announced in early July that encourages the Federal Trade Commission to create new rules that prevent companies from limiting customers from fixing their products. That's a great start. I can't believe you actually did it, Joe Biden. Congratulations. We also got another article from Ars Technica talking about an iOS zero-day floor that lets the hackers behind the solar winds attack compromise fully updated iPhones so you Apple users out there are not safe. And last but certainly not least, we have SpaceX, King Elon Musk, coming at it again. SpaceX will soon be ready to release its massive super heavy booster, that's what it's called, for the first time in an official launch in South Texas, it looks like. Alright, we're gonna start off right now with uh, the first story, right to repair. So you're probably asking to yourselves, hey, computer crusader, what do you even mean by right to repair? Well, I'd say it's actually pretty straightforward. Right to repair means that you should have the right to repair the electronic and technical devices that you purchase, which actually is not limited to high technology items like smartphones, computers, and TVs. It also can be me meant for farm equipment and, you know, stuff like that, other different areas of industry. So yeah, I got several articles right here talking about it. One of them coming from CNET, this guy Jason Cipriani. Pretty cool. Turns out he actually wrote this today, so congratulations at the time of filming. Alright, and this is really good for people that, you know, pretty much, how many of you out there have, like, dropped your phone? Or, uh, done something foolish with your technology? Or said, hey, let's go kayaking, or something, and you drop it in the water? Because you were trying to take a picture out in the, on a trip or whatever, on a vacation. Yeah. I mean, this, that's actually what happened to my fourth grade teacher. She did that one time. A phone dropped in the water. Pretty funny. I was actually there. It's a Boy Scouts trip. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, stuff like that. This is what the, the right to repair is meant for, for, uh, technology items. It's meant to f make it easier for, uh, consumers to, like, get resources, avail the resources available to repair, you know, a crack in your phone or whatever. Or, well, I mean, if it drops in the river, I think it might be gone. But, uh, yeah, I think it's too late at that point. Hello. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, like simple, uh, like simple stuff that happens to it. That's pretty much what this right to repair is for in the, in the technology realm. Now, the President of the United States, Joe Biden, actually announced a new executive order in early July that encourages the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, to create new rules that prevent companies from limiting customers from fixing their products. So, 
I mean, there are several companies that come to mind, but I mean, Apple, hello. <laughs> That's the one that really comes to mind right there, Apple, with their, especially with their newer devices, because, I mean, my goodness, have you even tried to open up your iPhone like you could with the old Androids? Those old Androids, hey, they literally gave you a spot. All you gotta do is pop open the back. That's the sound it makes. Then you, boom, you get the battery right there and the micro SD card so you can expand storage. Can you do that on an iPhone? No. Can you change the battery on an iPhone? No. Now to be fair, other companies that manufacture Android devices, where they used to have those uh, phones that you could open up, now they seem to be copying Apple's, uh, Apple's style of, you know, if it breaks, come buy another one. Give us some more money. You know, stuff like that. So by the way, here's a disclaimer real quick. Apple, if any of your, uh, of the companies I mentioned are watching me, please, this is just my opinion, and this is not an official, uh, thing. Okay, so please do not, uh, file lawsuits against me, please. This is just, you know, me ranting, kind of, me giving my opinions on the internet, which, at the, at the end of the day, do they really matter an extreme amount? I don't think so, but, you know, it is what it is. Alright, anyway, so back to the actual article. It turns out, Several of these states have actually begun introducing their own legislation in their state, with the first being uh, this bill in Nevada called AB 221. And so far, 25 other states, or I guess 25 states including, yeah, Nevada, have uh, introduced uh, right to repair legislation laws or whatever. With some of them being, I'm going to list a couple for you. Arkansas, California, Connecticut, Colorado, Delaware, Florida, Hawaii, Illinois, you know, places like that. With actually, recently, two more states have joined in, Pennsylvania and Rhode Island. So, it looks like the total number, including Nevada, is 27 now. 27 states have introduced right-to-repair legislation, which is very cool, very exceptional. That's a great step great step towards uh, implementing national, federal, right-to-repair legislation, which is very simple. I mean, you would expect that to be the case pretty much uh, already. Like you, like, you would not assume that we would need a law to actually have this to occur, but I mean, I guess we do. So, yeah, pretty much what these uh, state bills would do is uh, reform existing laws to require manufacturers of electronic equipment. Now, again, I mentioned, it's not just cell phones, computers, it's also uh, agricultural farming equipment, uh, medical equipment, uh, what else? Dental, cars, stuff like that. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous now. What these bills would do, though, is they would require manufacturers to provide access, increased access, to necessary repair items such as user manuals, spare parts, diagnostic and other special tools that would assist people in repairing their devices. So, yeah, very cool. And I noticed that, uh, actually, let me go look that up. I noticed earlier there's a bunch of people with John Deere, John Deere vehicles and tractors. They had problems with this. John Deere was not allowing them to repair, make repairs to their 
large farm equipment, so they have to download software from Ukraine to uh, which allows them to bypass something. It's kind of weird, which is very well. Actually, here here's an article right here from AgWeb.com. I'll be sure to put this in the ghost bin as well. By the way, all these sources that I'm uh taking from this for this uh, podcast, I will put them in a ghost bin, which will be in the description of this episode. So that's what I always do for all my episodes. I put the sources in the description. So if you want to go ahead and look at these yourself and confirm what I say, that's fine. I actually would suggest you do it. So let's see. Yeah, so John Deere has actually released a company statement talking about this right to repair, saying this, Deere supports a customer's right to safely maintain, diagnose, and repair their equipment. When customers buy from John Deere, they own the equipment and can choose to personally maintain or repair the product. They also say that less than 2% of all repairs require a software update, which is why I mentioned earlier about uh, the farmers having to download Ukraine firmware Ukrainian firmware, uh, that's, that's why they had to do it, was because they needed to make repairs that required a software update, and uh, the American firmware wouldn't do it, so, which is very weird, and that's kind of disturbing a little bit, but yeah. They also say this as well, We lead our industry in providing repair tools, spare parts, information guides, training videos and manuals needed to work on our machines including remote access for technicians to provide long-distance help. And it also says, John Deere does not support the right to modify embedded software due to risks associated with the safe operation of the equipment, emissions compliance, and engine performance. Well, I mean, I assume, well, I mean, I'm just, again, a person doing a podcast in my room on the internet, but... I mean, if that was me, I would assume that the risks associated with downloading Ukrainian firmware would be much higher than, you know, uh, trying to update the American firmware. I don't know what they kind of mean by that. That's a little bit uh, sort of indirect, doesn't really kind of evasive. But, uh, you know, again, please do not sue me. This is just my opinion. Please do not go after me. But according to this article right here, it says Deere and the John Deere company stock fell on the on the Tuesday market, so I mean, I guess people were not happy with their statement. I don't know. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just you know, you know. Okay, well, anyways, so that's that's pretty much right to repair. I mean, if you want my opinion, I I support this uh, idea of repairing stuff. I mean, this is this is good because this will allow me to make future videos on showing people how to repair. By the way, uh. A great re- a resource for if you want to know how to repair pretty much most of the electronic devices you have would be this website called ifixit.com. ifixit.com. It's a great website. They give you video tutorials, text tutorials on how to uh, repair most of the most of the like simple issues with pretty much almost all of the devices available on the market today and even older devices as well, some of them. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty cool. I, I mean, I'm not sponsored by them. I don't have any corporate sponsors, but hey, if I get bigger in the future, 
I wouldn't mind getting the sponsor from you guys, too. That'd be uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, because you guys are very good anyway, so. And they also sell a, a, a toolkit, pretty much like a complete repair toolkit for uh, IT support people and help desk people. So, very cool. If I get that in the future, I'll be sure to do a video on it because it's very cool. Alright, anyways, I think I'm done with saying the word cool. But yeah, right to repair, that's that. So, uh, let's move on to the second big story, which is the cybersecurity type story about the IOS Zero Day exploit or flaw. Seems like this flaw was exploited when government officials clicked on links in various LinkedIn messages. So, that is, again, that's another thing I'm gonna tell you guys. Be careful about social media. Now, LinkedIn is actually a more professional social media and it's more vetted than the other ones. But, uh, which hackers don't really target LinkedIn, I guess, as much because of its professional and more managed nature. Uh, but, uh, I mean, they still, it still is a social network and it can, it can cause uh, vulnerabilities in, if you're not careful, with your personal information especially. Privacy is probably a bigger thing than security, but I'd say they both are secure if you're using social media. Always be aware of that. I'm, I might have to do a future video talking about how to stay secure and stay private with social media. So, or uh, how to enhance your privacy or how to maintain, I don't know. But anyways, let's, let's actually uh, get to the article. Once again, from Ars Technica. Pretty much almost all of these come from Ars Technica. So... That's a great IT news related website if you want to search up stuff yourself. So yeah. So apparently the uh, the hackers who uh, were behind this exploitation were the same hackers who orchestrated the SolarWinds supply chain attack last year. And apparently according to the US government they are considered Russian state hackers. That's what they are. That's who was behind it. So I mean, yeah. And they exploited it as part of a separate malicious email campaign aimed at stealing web authentication credentials from Western European governments like the UK, Spain, France, you know, Italy, Germany, that type, that type of stuff. So what they did was they sent messages to several government officials over LinkedIn, the professional social networking site I was telling you about. And uh, what they targeted was... According to the common vulnerabilities and, and exposures, it was CVE 2021-1879. That's the, if you want to look it up on the CVE in index, you can look that. That's the attack. So what they did was when when you when the government officials clicked on the links over LinkedIn, they were redirected to domains that installed malicious payloads on fully updated iPhones. So. Even the latest security updates were no match for these payloads. And it's apparently, according to this article, the attacks coincided with a campaign by the same hackers who delivered malware to Windows users. Which is, lord, very, uh, orchestrated, very planned. I don't know what's going on with all these planned cyber, cyber security attacks and stuff happening to Western Europe and the US. I don't know what's going on with that. But, uh, yes. And it also says, Microsoft says that Nobilium, the name the company uses to identify the hackers behind the 
SolarWinds supply chain attack, so Microsoft call is calling the hackers Nobelium. They first managed to compromise an account belonging to USAID, a United States government agency that administers civilian foreign aid and development assistance. So what happened was they took control over the agency's account and used their online, uh, the agency's account for online marketing company, Constant Contact, which they used that pretty much as like a proxy to send emails that appeared to uh, addresses known to belong to the U.S. agency. So pretty much they uh, used social engineering and imitated the U.S. agency, USAID, and uh, so they could send those malicious emails to Windows users and in the Western nations. So the federal government attributes, again, I mentioned earlier, the hackers who attack, uh, the solar wind hackers, the federal government says they, they are working for Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service, which is abbreviated as SVR. I don't know why they don't abbreviate it as FIS. That's a little weird, but I guess that's what, I guess it's the Russian name, and they anachronomized that. I don't even know if that's a word, anachronomized. I don't know, but it says for more than a decade, the SVR has conducted malware campaigns targeting several different governments, political think tanks, and other organizations in Western countries like Germany and the U.S., but also it says in Uzbekistan and South Korea, so other Eastern countries as well. Uzbekistan is bordering Russia to the south, I, I believe, if I remember my geography, and of course South Korea is bordering North, uh, North Korea, which borders China and Russia, so very close. But yes, it says that the same group attacked the U.S. State Department and the White House in uh, 2014, and their other uh, monikers or aliases for the group include Apt29, the Dukes, and Cozy Bear, I guess for the Russian bear. But uh, yeah, I don't think you want to mess with that bear. He gonna hack you. So uh, yeah, and... He might hack you, but he'll probably gonna hack your mama too. So who knows? And Microsoft also uh, said this in its corporate statement. It states that Nobelium experimented with multiple different attack variations. In the first wave, a Nobelium-controlled web server looked uh, was searching for profiles of devices that visited it to determine what OS and hardware the devices ran on. And if it found out that the device was an iPhone, iPad, or other Apple device like that, a server used the exploit that I mentioned earlier, the CVE-2021-1879, which allows hackers to deliver a universal cross-site scripting attack, XSS attack, which, allows you, which allowed them to steal the authentication data for their website. Now here's the weird part though, Apple says they patched the device and the exploit in late March, which is interesting. And it said the exploits target, uh, targeted iOS versions 12.4 through 13.7. Now, I don't know what the latest iOS version is. Let's go ahead and search that right now. It might be 14, if I'm not mistaken. I think it might be in the 14s now. Okay, yeah, it's 14.6 as of the time of recording this. The latest is 14.6. That's the latest stable version. So yeah, yeah, and uh, again, this browser, uh, the cross-site scripting attack, it targets websites and browsers. So, but the thing is though, you can uh, mitigate this in browsers by using a thing called, uh, a setting called site isolation. 
and this is available in any Chromium or Chrome-based browser and Firefox-based browser as well. You can use site isolation, which helps mitigate that, not, uh, not completely erase it. The way to completely prevent cross-site scripting attacks is to not use any JavaScript in your website, which, I mean, that can work for most people, but certain sites like Amazon, LinkedIn, nah, that can't work because they require databases and they're dynamic websites, which I guess I'll go over the difference between static and dynamic websites in a future video, which, yeah. I guess I got a lot of videos, future video ideas I gotta go through, but yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much that. Again, you can look at the article. This article was written by Dan Gooden. So, yeah, you can look at that. But last but not least, the homie Elon Musk in Boca Chica, a Starbase facility has focused on building up capabilities for its orbital launch of its new, uh, looks like its new la uh, new booster called Super Heavy Booster 3, its first launch. So yeah, King Elon doing all kinds of cool stuff. But yeah, another article from Ars Technica talking about this says a little more than two months have passed since the company launched its SN-15 Starship prototype to an altitude of 10 kilometers, which let's see how much that is in miles. I think that's like seven miles or something. Probably around like six and a half, six and a half miles. Let's go ahead and see what exactly that would be. But before we do that, it says that was the first one that was safely landed on May 5th. And I guess the data they got back from this test flight was what's making, what's motivating them to move towards higher flights because they scrapped plans to fly at their next prototype. SN-16, and that's where they're building up stuff at their Starbase, quote-unquote, facility in Boca Chica, Texas. They're focusing on building up capabilities for an orbital launch attempt of their Starship system, which uses their Super Heavy Booster I mentioned uh, before. It's called Booster 3 by the company. They're rolling it to the launch pad at the beginning of July, and, they've, and they're starting to assemble. And it says this week right here, the company added three Raptor rocket engines to the Booster 3. And it says area residents, they're going to conduct a static fire test of the, ve of, the ve of the vehicle as soon as Thursday, July 15th. Which at the time of recording this is tomorrow. So, looks like they might have already done it, actually. But real quick, let's go ahead. 10 kilometers is 6.21 miles. I was kind of off. But yeah, 6.2 miles was the height they reached for uh with their sn15 prototype and i guess they dropped the whole sn uh naming system for their prototypes now they're starting to call their new stuff ships so they're building another ship called ship 20 it says it's the first of a new generation of starship prototypes with features that will allow them to ascend into space and then return to earth much of the rocket is already complete in a high bay facility in Boca Chica. So that's pretty intense right there. <clears throat> and it says all of these uh, ships, boosters, and rockets, all of them, will be ready for the test launch later this summer. And they say they want to make this test, test flight with the Starship vehicle traveling most of the way around the Earth. So they want it to orbit ma the majority of the Earth before making a controlled, manually controlled re-entry into the ocean north of Kauai, in Hawaii. 
as early as August. So it looks like in August they're looking to go ahead and launch all day rockets. Elon, you pretty motivated. I heard, by the way, I heard this man works like over 100 hours a week. Doing who knows what. He has like five jobs. Calls himself the wizard now, I think. I think that's what he renamed himself on, uh, on the company documents. He gave himself that position. Head wizard or something. I don't know. I'd like to get that position at my job. Help desk wizard. That'd be pretty fun. Just go put that on my name tag saying, hey, that's the IT wizard over there. That's the help desk wizard. Oh, snap. What type of spell he gonna cast today? Is it gonna fix up all the computers instantly so they never break at the place? I don't know. I wish. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So it looks like that's it for today's podcast. Once again, Biden's right to repair. The iOS zero-day exploit. Compromising fully updated iPhones and Apple devices. And SpaceX building its new starships. Pretty cool, pretty interesting. If you guys enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a like on YouTube, and be sure to leave a like on Spotify as well. That's the two main sites it's up for right now. I'm still working on getting it to Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, but as soon as I get those distributed through there, I will be sure to notify you guys. And uh, also check out my YouTube channel, The Computer Crusader. Along with my podcast that I post there, I also post uh, other content that's more you know, video tech related stuff, software, hardware, tutorials, uh, reviews, whatever, unboxing. Doing a lot of unboxings recently because I, I had to upgrade my office, so yeah, very cool, very nice. But uh, yeah, anyways, hope you enjoyed. Leave a like, comment, tell me what you think, and uh, have a nice day, guys. Look out for the next episode, and yeah, alright, bye.